Well, you do not have to be a Christian for too long to realize that just because you are a Christian doesn't mean that you will not encounter trials or difficulties or problems. Have we pretty much established that that just comes with life, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever? The Bible says it rains on the just and the, un- the, just and the unjust. In other words, we go through things, and sometimes as Christians, we sometimes uh, feel like that uh, our problems, in a way, started when we became a Christian, and there's a spiritual truth in that as well, that we, we change sides, and uh, the enemy's not going to allow that to go unchallenged when we uh, became a believer in Jesus Christ and are following him. Uh, but Jesus warned his disciples in John 16:33 with this, uh, with this warning or this admonition. He said, he said, the things that I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world, and we're in the world, we're, our feet are on this ground, in the world you will have what? Tribulation. You will have troubles. You will have trials. But he says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. One of the things that is important for us to be reminded of is that as believers that uh, we will face times of trials and difficulties. Uh, we will face those challenges. We will face what uh, sometimes we just feel like we're in the pit. You know, we're just in the pit. And that's actually a biblical term in the Word of God. Uh, and this morning, we're going to talk about pit theology from Psalm 40. And you say, well, that's an odd title. Well, that's just the title I couldn't quite get around, but that's what it is. We're going to look at pit theology. When you're in the pit, what are some things that the Word of God gives us and instructs us to do when we're in the pit? Because, you know, really, and I've said this in different ways, and you've heard this in different ways, you're either in the pit, you're coming out of a pit, or you're getting ready to do what? go into the pit. That just seems to be the way life cycles, doesn't it? So this morning, we want to look at Psalm 40 and talk about pit theology. And this is taken from really the beginning of Psalm 40, verse 1 and 2. David writes the psalm that we are going to look at this morning, where he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. And he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible, what? Pit. Pit. There it is. Out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. The CSB says, instead of horrible, a desolate pit. Now, in context, the pit that he's talking about is the pit of death. But as you know, that there are many forms of the pits of life. You ever, especially in these last four or five months, there's days where you just might say, I just feel I'm in the pits. I'm just kind of down. I've got the COVID-19 blues. Well, you fill in the blank of whatever works for you in that pit. But I think when we talk about it, we all know what that's like. We all know. Now, sometimes it can be more extreme. Sometimes the, the, the pit that we find ourselves in could be 
the loss of a job, and there's certainly been those who have found challenges. It could be poor health, and we have many that struggle with health issues, and many of them are wisely not here and are watching from, from their homes. Uh, maybe former friends and people that you trusted have turned against you, uh, and you have that uh, despair and that, that rebellious children. I mean, you, again, you can, you can fill in the blank of whatever, but, but whatever that is, uh, it's kind of like I can't really describe it, but I know what it is when I'm in it, right? I know what that is when I'm in it, and I found that there's no greater comfort than the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to bring that salve when we're feeling those, those times of stress, and sometimes we're not sure how even we got there. Sometimes we're not even sure what has caused this feeling of being in the pit is. It's kind of like winding up and eating at Denny's. You didn't plan to go there, but somehow you wound up there, right? I mean, uh, I mean you just, you just, you're just in that funk of life. That's another Hebrew word. So this morning, we're going to look at pit theology, and uh, this morning, we just want to look at five things that I believe that we can draw out, many more things. Actually, when I uh, finished this on Thursday, I actually had eight and whittled it down to five. There's much more in these verses of God's Word, but for brevity's sake, uh, uh, we're just going to look at five. Before we do that, why don't we pray and ask God to speak to us today, because I believe there's rarely a person here that just doesn't need the Lord to just give them some light from His Word and His Spirit today. And if you don't need it today, you're going to need it tomorrow or maybe Thursday, okay? So let's just ask God to, to uh, open His Word to us today and make us attentive as we hear and listen and follow. Father, we just thank You for today. We thank you for this Lord's Day, and we thank you for those who are here gathered uh, in this building and those who are gathered uh, away in different places watching. But we thank you for your church, and we thank you for, God, your persevering grace that you give to us. And so, Lord, today, as we open your word, uh, we just pray, God, that it will truly be a light to our path, a lamp to our feet, God. It will, it will help us navigate these difficult times, whether it's today or tomorrow or next month. God, that your word is a reliable light upon any difficulty and situation that we may face. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Five things that we're going to look at in Psalm 40 on pit theology. The first is, what do we do when we're in the pit? And then the first thing that I would have you direct your attention is, is be tenacious. Be tenacious. You say, what is tenacious? You've heard of tenacity. Tenacity is that, that kind of stubborn, obstinate, hanging on. You're just tenacious. You know, and perhaps when you got a job, you were tenacious in emailing and calling and going to visit. You were just, you weren't going to let go of that thing easily. Well, I think David gives us some wisdom that we need to be tenacious in our faith when we're in the pit of life. Look at uh, verse 40 again. Uh, actually, look at verse 40. I kind of skipped it, but let's go back and look at verse 40, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. That word waited, that's, that's counter to what we want to do when we're, when we're in that stressful pit. 
right? Because we need to be, we're people of action. We want to make some changes. We need to do something. We need to make some phone calls. We need to see this guy. We need to do something. But waiting, that just doesn't seem very sound that we should be waiting. But that's what David says. He says at the beginning, he said, I waited patiently. Here he is. He, he, he's, he, and, and if you look at chapter, if you look at Psalm 40, it's interesting. In the first 10 verses, David speaks about uh, God's rescuing him out of one pit. And then the second half, I think through verse 17, it, it, it shows him where he's rescuing him out of, a, of another pit. So again, David's well acquainted. If you know anything about David's life, you know that he's well acquainted with trials. But David says, I'm waiting patiently for the Lord. I'm waiting. In other words, that waiting, interesting, in the Hebrew, it's not a, a passiveness. It's not a, just a passive, well, well you know, you know I just, I'm just going to kind of lay here and, and whatever happens, happens. It's not, a, it's not a fatalism. Actually, the Hebrew literally reads, waiting I waited. One translation says, I waited, waited for the Lord. In other words, there's, a, there's an intensity behind this waiting. It's not just some, you know, like sitting in the doctor's office where you're waiting to be called in and you're just kind of ho-hum flipping through the magazines. It is an intensity of waiting in this time. And what God is doing, and I think David, we see this in this psalm and other psalms, is that God is tuning our hearts to himself. You know, the pit will have a way of doing that, won't it? Crisis has a way of sharpening our attention and our focus. When something is coming up on us, when we're in the middle of some trial or testing, it's amazing how our attention becomes laser-focused on that issue. We wake up, we think about it, we eat lunch, we're thinking about it. We're going to sleep, we think about it. And you know what we're doing? God is saying, God is reminding us here in Psalm 40 that the pit is not to be our focus. The, the tenaciousness is holding on and waiting patiently, waiting intently on the Lord, where our eyes are on him. A tenacity of faith. And I like something he says in verse 4. He said, blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust. He's not just waiting on waiting. He says, I'm waiting on the sovereign God who works all things together for good. I'm waiting on the Lord because I know that his promises in my life are true and reliable. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm not waiting on somebody to rescue me or bail me out. I'm waiting on the Lord because I know he's got it all under control. That's something I've prayed a lot, especially these last several months, is reminding myself, preaching to myself. You know, it's good to preach to yourself every once in a while. You know, you know who needs faith? The faithful. We need faith. We need to preach the word of God to ourselves and remind ourselves. Notice Notice this tenacity in verse 11. And I have the New American Standard on the screen because it, it, it brings it out. This settled, tenacious confidence. He says, you, O Lord, notice this, will not withhold. 
your compassion from me. Do you see that? That's a certainty. You will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. There's a confidence here. And David has this tenaciousness that I am waiting on the Lord. I'm holding stubbornly on the Lord. We need a little bit of Holy Spirit stubbornness in our life because I think we're too easy, and I'm just speaking for myself, we're too easily drawn into, what, what is the old hymn writer fount of every blessing? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Anybody relate to that hymn, right? Lord, I feel it. Prone to want, not wonder at the beauty of God. Wonder, W-A-N-D-E-R. Wonder, drift away. Sometimes I'm saying, growing up in Virginia Beach or here on the coast, you, in fact, you know, you'll hear it every once in a while. Somebody fell asleep in some little boat, you know, out of clear water or something. And you know what? They all of a sudden, they're, they're a mile or two. You know, maybe they had a little too much, uh, you know, beverages or whatever, and they thought they'd take a little nap. Next thing they know, they have drifted away from the shore. They are so far out there. And you know what? It just, it just happens where you feel that drift. And that's why we need to be tenacious in holding, not only in our faith in God, but I love how that David just, just says, God will preserve me. A tenacity of faith, not letting go, not letting, knowing that God has his grip on my life. And sometimes my grip, my grip, you never held on to something? Remember as a kid, you might have been on a rope or holding on to something, and you're just like, I can't hold on any longer. Well, you know what? By God's faith, we are holding on tenaciously to God. We're waiting, but it's not a passive waiting. Notice secondly, and we're not only reminded to be tenacious, but notice secondly, when you're in the pit, be telling. Be telling. Waiting on the Lord means to be telling. That means to be recounting. We might even say to be testifying. Waiting on the Lord, you know, one thing that it, that it does, as I said, it tends to focus our minds around in that situation. So sometimes we're, we're in a pit. Sometimes we feel like, you ever heard somebody say, I have to look up to see bottom. I can't see my way out of this situation. Been there? I understand that. Where it just seems like when I look up, it's down. When I look right, it's, it's, it's left. And when I look right, it's I mean, I am just, it's almost like a spiritual vertigo. You know, you just can't seem to quite get bounced. And that's a time to be telling, and our minds are so focused on the, on the issue. But instead, what, you know, what we need to do, we need to be telling. David brings us out in verse 5. He said, many... Many, O oh Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. What is David thinking about? He's thinking about circumstances? No. He's thinking about and extolling and telling verbally, God, you are wonderful, your wonderful works which you have done. He's telling and recounting back to God of his beauty and his greatness. Sometimes in order for us to think right, we need to be focused on thinking the right way. Colossians, it's not on the screen, says, 3.2 says, set your minds on things above and not on things of the earth. Set, that's a deliberate, intentional action. 
Set your mind. Set your mind. How do we set our mind? We set our mind. Whether we feel like it or not, we're going to read and we're going to inject truth. You know, quit watching the daily numbers that you can't hardly trust. No, I'm not denying there's reality there, but sometimes we are just feeding. You know what that does? It just feeds fear, constant drumbeat of fear. Yes, be wise, know what's going on, but also set your mind on things above, the Word of God says, and not on things of the earth. David is telling, and maybe David is thinking about the wonders of creation. He would write in, remember in Psalm 19, I love Psalm 19, it begins in verse 1, the heavens declare, the heavens preach the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. He says the heavens declare the glory of God. When I'm looking up at the sky and the stars, it just reminds me and is preaching the glory and the vastness of who God is. Think about this. Talking about the heavens and the earth. Earth is the only known planet equipped with an atmosphere that has the right mixture of gases and other things that, that can sustain plants, animals, and human beings. The earth has all the, the right blend of everything God has designed in order to make it a hospitable and home for human beings. God did that. Earth, think about this, that earth is located the right exact distance from the sun. Our temperature swings we encounter here on earth are anywhere from 30 below to 120 degrees, even though this past week we might up that a little, feel, feels a little more hot, but that's roughly it. But if the earth were any further away from the sun, what would happen? We'd freeze. We'd freeze. Any closer, we'd be burned up. Even a fractional variance in the earth's position to the sun would make life on earth impossible. The earth remains this perfect distance from the sun while it rotates around the sun at a speed of nearly 67,000 miles per hour. It's also rotating on its axis that allows the entire surface of the earth to be properly warmed and cooled every day. Who did that? God did that. God did that. That's a good place to say amen. Pull your mask down and say amen. Come on, you know. God did that. The heavens declare the glory of God. David says, your wonderful works you have done. Just contemplate the works of God. And what did Jesus say when he compared us to a little bird? That God's eyes are on that little sparrow? How much more are his eyes on us? Who made us, who created us, who sent his son to redeem us? How much more? Notice also in verse 5, 
He says, many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. Your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. Your thoughts towards me. We're talking about my thoughts towards you, but imagine that God has thoughts towards me. I can't even recount those. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. I love the hymn, probably one of my favorite hymns, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Because you know what that hymn reminds me of? It reminds me to be telling, to recount of the faithfulness of God, not only in my life, but just the faithfulness of God, period. I love this. When I was pulling this, I have a hymnal book on my my desk. I have a bunch of hymnals, and I I use them as my devotionals oftentimes because I love hymns. The second line that sometimes we may not always sing of great is thy faithfulness, talking about the works of God, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great! is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed thy hand has provided. We need to be telling in our life. You're in the pit. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, so what? Keep doing it. David didn't feel like it either, but he says, but I'm recounting your wonderful works I'm remembering great is thy faithfulness. And so as we wait on him now or in whatever pit you may be in tomorrow or next week, tell of his many wonderful works. But notice thirdly in Psalm 40 in our pit theology, notice fourth, is not only are we to be tenacious, be telling, but be teachable. Be teachable. Do you realize the pit is a great schoolroom for the believer. Look at what David says in verse 6 through 8. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within me. My heart. Interesting that word where it says, You have opened. My ears, you have opened. You know, in the Hebrew, what it really what is a is a fuller meaning? It literally means to dig out. To dig out. In fact, there's several places where it literally means when they're digging, digging a hole, hollowing something out, it's this Hebrew word. What a picture of our spiritual deafness that God has to chisel and dig out in order for us to hear. Do you ever feel like that? You ever feel like where God is just chiseling away and digging it out so you can hear where you're, you're stubbornness, you're not listening? Sometimes I'll, I don't say it anymore, they're not around, but I'd say to my kids, will you quit talking? You're not listening to what I'm saying. Sometimes God says, quit talking. 
Let me hollow out your ears so you can hear. Or how are we hearing God? Well, sometimes, you know, we just need to allow God to do some little bit of surgery. And sometimes we just need to be tenacious in the Word of God, as we said earlier, and let God go to work by His Word and His Spirit to open our ears. You see, the reason that I think that's so important, especially when we're in that place of the pit, is because we are prone to say, okay, I prayed, and I gave God 15 minutes, and nothing changed. You need to be tenacious. You need to be stubborn. You need to hold on. And not, again, you realize that God works according to his day timer and not yours? Have you, have you figured that out? You realize that God is in, is in no hurry? And if being in the pit, and here, here's the thing, is, is that sometimes when we give up, when we bail and said, well, you know what, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to listen, or I'm going to quit listening, I, I need to go find another avenue, I need to go find another source to help me because this waiting on the Lord thing, this tenaciousness, this telling, uh, this teachableness, I, I need to go find something else. And what the devil does, he'll still say, you know, you're right. Remember the lies we looked at last week? The devil will say, you know, you're right. God is holding out on you. He doesn't really have your best in mind. God doesn't really want what is best for you. God is not working all things together for good because look at all the things that you've done. Look at all the ways that you've disappointed God. You know what you're to say in those times? Devil, you're absolutely right. All those things I've done. In fact, you haven't even listed half of the things I've done, but I'm all clean because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You see, this is a teachable time. We don't like that concept, but it's a teachable time <clears throat> because what God is wanting from us, more than as much as we want the pit to change, we want to get out of it, what God wants to change in our life is me, is me. And God is willing to use the schoolroom of a crisis to teach me to trust him and to obey him. Trust and obey. How many of you remember that hymn? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. David would write at the very first psalm. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But look at verse 2, but his delight is in what? Is in the law, the word of the Lord, and in his law, his word, he meditates, he thinks, he contemplates day and night. Where do we get counsel? Not from the ungodly, but we get counsel from the word of God. God, teach me your ways. And you see, what is difficult is that we learn obedience to follow God's ways in the pit when we can't see anything. Sometimes the most difficult moments 
is when we're in that place, I'll say it like this, we're, we're flying in the dark. But we're really not in the dark. Because the Bible says that darkness to you, O Lord, is like light. I know I've used this story before in illustration, but it's just so telling. Some of you remember back in 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. was killed in a plane crash along with his wife and I think her sister, and they were flying from New York, and they were flying up to Martha's Vineyard for a wedding, and there was uh, uh, the weather was, uh, w- was not good, and the visibility was very poor, and they surmised that what happened or the official investigation that when their plane crashed into the Atlantic right off of uh, Martha's Vineyard or near there, the official investigation of the National Transportation Safety Board concluded that John Kennedy Jr., who was, a, who was an accomplished pilot but limited, that Kennedy fell victim to spatial disorientation. You might call it vertigo. That that is something that can happen when you cannot have normal visibility, when you can't see down. You can't see up. You can't see right. You can't see left. You're just in a, in a haze and in in maybe even a darkness of clouds or, or fog or something. And you know what? The pilot, professional pilots, not only have to be trained to navigate the plane in a normal situation, but one of the things that they have to do is be able to learn to navigate the airplane solely by the instrument panel and not by their senses around them. You see, because what can happen when you have that spatial disorientation, this vertigo, is that you're in the airplane and you think you're ascending upward when in reality, because your mind and your body is telling you, feeling like, I'm going up. But your senses are deceiving you. And you know what in reality you're doing? Instead of going up, you're going down. But if you follow the instruments on the board, they will not lie to you. Irregardless of what you feel, irregardless of what you sense, you know what our instrument panel is? Is the Word of God. The Word of God will never lie to us, will never deceive us, and it may be counterintuitive to what we feel, what we think, and we can trust the instrument panel that God has given to us. That even when our feelings and our heart and mind are screaming one way, we're trusting in the Word of God, the Bible that will allow us to be guided and be teachable in the dark. As a fourth principle or lesson, not only are we to be teachable, David reminds us, but fourthly, when you're in the pit, be thankful. Be thankful. That's the last thing I want to do is be thankful. Well, again, I hope that you're seeing that maybe in God's providence and sovereignty, God will use even the pit of the circumstance 
for something greater. Look at what David says in verse 16. He says, let all those who seek you, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. God wants us to be like a telescope. You know what a telescope does? You know, it takes that little, little twinkle, twinkle, little star. And you look through that telescope. I remember I used to have a telescope. Probably, I think I bought it on QVC. I don't know why. I just wanted a telescope. And I bought a telescope. And I remember the first time that I saw, I mean, it was like a speck, but I actually could see the ring. I it was, you know, it was in the papers that on this night or whatever, the way things were, you could see, and I saw Jupiter. And I remember what a thrill that was. I wasn't looking at a picture. I was looking through this telescope, and I was really looking at Jupiter, and I could just faintly make out that ring around that, around that planet. But what does a telescope do? It takes that, which is small, even though it seems small, but it magnifies it into our hearts and minds. And we might say, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Do you realize there are some, you realize the sun is a star, and you realize there are stars that they have discovered, and many obviously they haven't, that are 15 to 2,000 times bigger than the sun, that, it, that if it was in our solar system, the size of some of these stars would literally consume the first five planets, and we be one of them. But what does that telescope do? It takes that which is small and magnifies. What do I do when I'm thankful? I'm taking that which God seems small in my life and I magnify him and I recount and I begin to be thankful that I'm thankful of God's deliverance. You see, I think for me, and maybe this is just me, I don't think it is, we think, God, I need you to resolve this situation I need you to deliver me out of this situation. And God says, you let me handle the situation, but what I really want you is not to look at that as the answer, but I want you to look at me as the answer. I'm allowing this circumstance, I'm allowing this pit, if you will, so that you think you need deliverance when in reality you need me. And this is the only way I could get you to see that. David waits on the Lord and seeks him, magnifies him. And I think that in my life, and I think you, many of you could testify this too, that when you trust God and you begin to worship God, you'll find that the worship in those moments of trial and testing, that the worship that God births in those times, you reach by God, not yourself, but you reach into another level of knowing God in a deeper way that you never, ever would have even considered had God not boxed you in, in that pit. David says, the Lord be worshipped. The Lord be magnified. I couldn't help but think of that situation that Paul encountered when he was in the the jail and he was arrested along with Silas. Not certainly something Paul wanted, 
but he was put in that jail cell. And you remember what it says in Acts 16, 25? It might be on the screen. There it is. It says, here he is. Paul and Silas are in the jail. And at midnight, what were they doing? Praying. Singing hymns to God. And what was the result? The prisoners were listening to them. You know, sometimes God might have something much bigger and greater going on than just what you are experiencing. Sometimes God will allow us to be in our pit because there's something much bigger and greater that God is doing that we can't even see. Could it be in God's providence that he put them right there in that jail because as a result of that jail, the warden and the, the, uh, some of the other prisoners and the jailers came to faith in Christ? Could it be that God has something bigger going on? Because you realize this is God's agenda. This is God's kingdom. And I won't turn to it, but you, I say it all the time, Philippians 1.12, when Paul writing from the Philippian, when he was incarcerated in Rome, and he's writing that letter to the Philippians, and he says, but I want you to know, verse 12 of Philippians 1, it's not on the screen, but I want you to know that all these things that have happened to me have actually resulted in the gospel going forth. You see what Paul's saying there? If you, you blink, you'll miss it. He's saying that my life is expendable to the purposes of God. And if God wants to put me in a jail cell because he has a bigger agenda going on to touch and reach others, then I'm submitted. I, I laid my life down a long time ago. And that's why Paul continually called himself a bondservant. Literally, that's a nice way to say it. Literally, it means slave. He, he resolved that a long time ago because he said, I am a slave to Christ. And he can use and do with my life. And I just want to remain pliable, teachable, and thankful. And the last, in verses 9 and 10, is not only to be thankful, but when you're in the, in the pit, when you're in the pit, be transformed. We want the situation to change, but here's what's going on. We need change. We need change. We need change because God is always up to something, and he has a design. Verse 9 and 10, David says, notice the change. Notice how his heart in this, in this, this pit psalm he says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. He said, indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth. David is wanting everyone to know that would hear this, that would read this, that God's deliverance in his life, that God gets the glory. David doesn't get any credit. God gets all the glory. But we don't have to wait till we're out to be transformed. We don't have to wait 
So God's changed us. See, sometimes we approach God, and the way sometimes people do, is almost like a little lad in GD. And when God answers this prayer, we just like, okay, we'll put him back on the shelf. I'll go back to what I was doing. He bailed me out. And that's, that's kind of the way people approach and think about God. And then we just, we just forget. David said, I'm not forgetting because I was, my life has been changed because of God and what he's done in my life. But I think what is really the hardest and the more challenging is when we're in the pit. And the pit remains the pit tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month. And see, our nature wants to just say, well, see, God isn't there. No, God's there. (laughs) He's there. He isn't gone. But the challenge is, will we remain faithful to him? One of the favorite scriptures that's always a reminder of this isn't from the psalm, but it's from the prophet Habakkuk. Now, I didn't cough. It's the book of Habakkuk. And it's at the very end. If you know anything about the book of Habakkuk, it's Habakkuk the prophet who was questioning why God was doing what he was doing. He had a lot of questions. And what you find with Habakkuk, it's a short little book, you find that God does with him like he does Job. He never really, he doesn't really answer his questions. God is not obligated to answer your questions. But you know what God does? And he does the same thing with Job. Instead of answering his questions, you know what he does with both of them? And hopefully he does with us. Is they get a bigger understanding of the grandeur and the majesty of who God is. Look full into his wonderful face and the things of this earth, the things of this world will grow, grow strangely what? Dim in the light of his glory and grace. We need God, people. We need God. We need more of God. Look at what Habakkuk End of Habakkuk. No, his questions aren't answered, but notice what he says. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. This is the conclusion. He says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive tree may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. You see what he's saying here? When there's absolutely no evidence that God is doing anything, when there's no tangible evidence, what does he say? He says, yet, say yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You need to make a decision. I need to make a decision. That when I'm in the pit, to say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will joy in the God of my salvation. Be tenacious, not passive. It's an active trust in God alone. Be telling Remember the faithfulness of God when you're in the pit. Be teachable. 
Say, God, what's the, what's the lesson today? Where's obedience? Where do I, teach me, God. I, I want to be pliable. I want to be teachable. You see, one of the most frustrating things is to be around a person who refuses to be teachable. You ever worked with somebody like that? And you knew right away they weren't going to last because they knew everything. Ricky, you ever had people you worked with and you just knew they knew everything? And after about two weeks, Sheriff Judd and you realized they didn't know everything and they were out, right? Because they weren't teachable. God, keep me teachable. Be thankful and be transformed because what God is doing, not out of the pit, but he's doing it in the pit. James, in closing, James reminds us in James 1, you know the scripture. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials, put the word pit, when you're ever in the pit of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith does what? It produces something, produces patience. Another word you may have in your Bible translate might be steadfastness, okay? It produces the testing. When you test something, it tests the integrity. When they test those bridges, when they build them, they put the weight on them that is three, four, five times of what that bridge would sustain to test the integrity of the structure. The testing of your faith produces. But then he says in verse 4, that once it's produced, let patience, steadfastness, have its perfect work. In other words, once God is producing something from what? The trials. Let it have its perfect work. Let it be completed and accomplish what God has intended. You ever glue something? You ever glue something? And you go back to see if it's dried, and you pick it up, and what happens? It falls apart. Why? Because you didn't allow the glue to have its completed work. You bailed too quickly. God, let what you're producing in the pit have its perfect, completed work in my life that I might be one who magnifies the name of the Lord, and tells and, and shows of the greatness of God in my life. That through the trials, through the circumstances, through when I thought I had my last punch I could take, God, God 